Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the wonderful letter of Paul to the Philippian church. Philippians chapter 2, and let's all stand in honor of God's word. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be reading a hymn, an ancient hymn that they probably used uh, prior to their baptism service. When they were to be baptized, when they were converted, they were to be baptized. They learned this hymn and the doctrines found in it. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about, the mindset of Christ Jesus, developing that. Who, being in the very nature divine, Jesus is the Son of God and will continue to be the Son of God forever, did not consider equality of God something to be either grasped or stolen, let me go get the divinity, you know, when no one's looking, sort of, or something to be used to his own advantage. He went to the cross. He didn't use the divinity to escape the cross. He could have called myriads of angels. Rather, he made himself nothing. When the human race is so proud, and yet the Son of God is so humble. He made himself nothing, take on the, the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Doesn't just mean appearance, and we'll study that later. He humbled himself. God didn't force him. His father didn't force him. He humbled himself by being becoming obedient to death, even the worst possible death in that culture, the cross. Therefore God exalted him, the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him an earned name, a name that is above every other name, every other possible divinity or whatever. That at the name of Jesus, eventually, ultimately, every knee is going to bow. So if you don't bow now, you'll bow later. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that there's something under the core of the earth. That's where hell is. You know, that's where the fire is. This is an idiom meaning all of existence. That in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and wherever anything is existing, in every tongue, and I will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Kurios, he's Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. For this word is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. We thank you for Christmas. We will forever thank you for Christmas and the incarnation. We pray now that it will, that Christmas will become personally applied. Because without that, it's just a cute story that children sing and make us feel good. Rather, Lord, intrude into our lives and let Christmas come within 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to read one, one more passage of Scripture, but you could be seated for that. And that's 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice the pattern of Philippians. Notice the pattern. He humbled himself. He was divine. He humbled himself, became a servant, even unto the cross. And God exalted him. Guess what, folks? That's the paradigm. That's the outline for our life in Christ. That's the pattern that it should take. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 9 says, God opposes the proud. I don't care what denomination you're in. I don't care where you come from, nationality. God opposes the proud. He but shows favor to those who trust him and are humble. Humble yourself, just like Christ did. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will take opportunity to lift you up in due time as Jesus rose from the dead and was exalted. Cast all your anxiety on him because he truly cares for you. How are you going to know that unless you know that personally in an experience? Then it's just like a statement. Okay, that's good. Now let's go on to the mood, the food, you know. But no, this is something we need to experience in our heart. The whole process of salvation includes the incarnation of the Son of God. But it's only a part of the salvation process which began before the foundations of the earth. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says something very puzzling. He says, Christ was crucified before the, his death was before the foundation of the earth. What, what does that mean? So that means somewhere in the past, not in history, not in human history, Jesus was crucified in heaven somewhere. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means, it's another idiom, it means it was as good as done there. Nothing could have opposed it to happen here. It was decided in the courts here, there, and it was going to happen here in history, that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, incarnated into the Jesus that we worship. But it's only part of salvation process, which began before the foundation of the earth. Amen. The whole process in includes the election of the plan before the foundation of the earth. The incarnation of the Son in Jesus Christ is what Christmas is all about. Can you imagine God Almighty, all the other pagan gods, you know, they just kind of conquered people. They, they persecuted people. They demanded blood sacrifice. They, all sorts of, they, they forced people to submit to them or else they'd be cursed. Our God came and experienced humanity that has gone awry. That's the difference between Christ and Zeus or Jupiter or any other Norse god. Okay, so in the incarnation of the Son, in Christmas, he, he demonstrates his miraculous life. And then through his miraculous life, we said, oh, good. The disciples said, oh, good, he's going to conquer the Romans now. Everything is going to be peaceful. We're going to rule and reign. No, he went to the cross. He experienced the crucifixion. His resurrection and ascension is awaiting the full effects of his victory and enthronement 
is not now. How many think that Jesus is enthroned now? In a sense, he is. How many think that Jesus is, in victory, is, uh, is operating in victory right now? In a sense, he is. But look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's happening in your own life, what's around you. You know, it's not perfect here. It's not the full kingdom of God that we await in the future. It's no use. Some Christians, they're in denial. They say, well, you know, we live in victory all the time. Well, you don't live in victory all the time. You suffer too. But God helps you through the suffering. If you know him in a personal way, it's even better. So the enthronement, the full enthronement and full of victory is still to come. These are all summarized in the poetic hymn styled in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, along with the practical applications. And we want to get to the practical applications in verses 1 to 5 and 12 to 17. This hymn uh, actually summarizes all the major parts of Paul's theology and the theology of the gospel and its doctrine. It was also probably, you know, where, where did they use this hymn? Where did they say? In those days, not, not, nobody had books, okay? You can't just go into the Christian bookstore and buy a Bible. It wasn't written yet. So they memorized the doctrines. And the best way to memorize something, as we teach our kids, is through a song. And this is what they learned. This is the song that we, that we just read, if you look in your Bibles here, of the whole process of salvation, which begins before the foundations of the earth, which begins then with the incarnation. But it doesn't stop there. That's why we don't worship the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus is a grown-up Messiah. You want to see how Jesus looks like? Look at the book of Revelation chapter 1. My God, he's powerful. Revelation chapter 19, he's going to come back. Not Santa Claus. He's looking to see if you're naughty or nice. Jesus is the one you have to worry about, whether you're naughty or nice. Okay? And so this doctrine of Paul, the gospel, is summarized in this passage. The hymn summarizes the New Testament understanding of salvation through the Son of God. First of all, it was decided in the divine pre-existence of the triune God. This is implied here. In other words, God is going to do it no matter what you do, no matter what everybody else planned to oppose Jesus, Jesus was going to go to the cross because it was decreed by God. And the Lord's going to return because it's decreed by God. It's not like, well, if you're good or, or you know, if we're not good or maybe we could do something to postpone it. No, not at all. The two points that are found in verse 6, if you still have your Bibles open, verse 6, is that Jesus is the, well, let me read it to you. So, verse 6, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to be used for his own advantage. Well, that could mean two different things. The first thing is the incarnate God, Son of God, did not have to steal divinity. He didn't have to, you know, earn it up in heaven or earn it down in earth. And some people actually believe that, that Jesus was actually the Archangel Michael or some other lower deity because we don't understand the Trinity. 
Nobody can understand fully the Trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're one God. Do the math. Three, one, you know. It doesn't make sense to us, but neither does quantum physics make sense to us. Or just regular physics to some of us doesn't make sense to us. But he did not have to grasp after divinity. He is the Son of God eternally. But he humbled himself. And he didn't use his divinity as a, as a, a card of advantage. I'm divine. You know, everybody ha now has to submit to me. He doesn't want to force anyone to submit to him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. So Jesus is the very son of God. He didn't stop being the son of God when he was in human flesh. That's another mystery of our faith. And Jesus didn't use the divinity. One of the, one of the passages says that Jesus is before Pilate, I believe, and he says, you know, I could call myriads of angels to come now and deliver me and wipe you out. He says, I will not do that because he's setting a pattern of what true humanity is like. True humanity does not suppress other people. True humanity, as God wants it, doesn't uh, has compassion and love for one another. True humanity humbles themselves like Jesus did. Do you think it was easy? From the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hey, take it for what it is. He felt forsaken, but yet he persevered. And sometimes we feel forsaken, we go through troubles, but if we persevere, God enters in and delivers us and helps us. In human likeness, oh, he was only in the appearance of a man. And I don't like the language used because if you don't know the Greek text here, it's really hard to, oh, he's just, he just looked like God. He just looked like a human being, I should say. He wasn't really human. He was just God dressed up as a human being. No. It does not equal just looking like a human. Rather, he was, he was the identical copy of human, humanity in its essence. The exact copy of humanity in its very essence. So human likeness doesn't just mean he just looked like him, a man, a human. He was godlike and immortal while being human. He voluntarily humbled himself. So he came from this high up to this low down where he suffered as a murderer and a thief in the Roman context. He went from this height. He allowed himself to go this low in order that he would take our punishment and our deserved punishment. That's called justification. So he was immortal, even while being human. He voluntarily humbled himself and became a servant to his father and to humanity through the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. The prelude to deserved resurrection and exaltation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, resurrected from the dead in victory. So he gained something. He didn't just usurp his authority. I'm God. I'm going to be your king. 
and you're going to like it. Doesn't do that. Rather, he comes to us and he humbles himself and he invites us to have a relationship with a king. A king in this law, in this world, does not invite you to have a relationship with him. He brings his army, knocks on your door, and says, you're going to serve me. I'm going to tax you. How about our, our, our IRS? <laughs> I'm going to tax you. I'm going to control you. You have to serve me. Yet this king comes, and he humbles himself, and he ascends, and he's enthroned, waiting for the final victory. And he invites us to have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? Now, surrounding this song, which I consider a good Christmas song, we have what we should look like. And we saw that in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. You know, we have to, God doesn't, I, I'm going to say that, you know, God doesn't necessarily directly humble us. He can create circumstances where we get humbled. Right? He's not looking to do that. He, he likes it when we humble ourselves. And this is good counseling for marriages and for relationship with our children and our neighbors and whatever, to humble yourselves to one another. Humble yourself. But then he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season he will exalt you if you faint not. It's the same pattern that we saw Jesus going through. The behaviors of Jesus and our Savior and Lord are a teaching model for his disciples in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Let's just read a few verses. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and do you have encouragement? Yes. If any comfort from his love, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, if any common sharing in his spirit, and if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within if any tenderness and, and compassion, which is the fruit of the Spirit, right, then make my joy complete. The thing that would make Paul's joy complete would be them loving one another. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, that crosses out the politicians. Or whatever. Or vain conceit. Do nothing. But rather in humility value others above yourselves. That's happening in the world, isn't it? You know, in the Middle East and in Ukraine. That's happening all over, right? Some Christians, they say, well, Christ is ruling and reigning. Where? He's in the midst of it all. He's helping us. And one day he's going to rule and reign visibly and physically. But this is the opposite of the world, right? In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests only, but each of you to the interests of others, and have that same mind in you that's in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, my dear friends, see, we read this hymn, and we say, isn't it a beautiful hymn? Christ came, the very Son of God. He didn't have to grasp after divinity. He is divine. He humbles himself. He becomes a regular human being. 
right? Still being divine, regular human being. So instead, of, so to become a king, he doesn't bring an army. He goes to the cross. He humbles himself. He goes to the cross for us. That baby Jesus grew up and went to the cross for us. But then Christ raised, God raised him from the dead as a signature of his victory. That's why we have the Holy Spirit now. The evidence that he's risen from the dead, one of the evidences, aside from historical apologetics, is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit within. We have the Holy Spirit within. And we see this in verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, because you have the Spirit in you. So whether I'm preaching on Sunday morning or not preaching on Sunday morning, I'm vacationing in, uh, where would I vacation? I don't vacation much. You know, you know, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, because you have the Holy Spirit within you. Continue to work out your salvation and do it seriously. Fear and trembling. Ooh. Ooh, fear and trembling because you don't know when God's axe is going to come and or God's club is going to. That's not what it means. Fear and trembling means take it seriously. Take it seriously. Christianity is just not going to church once in a while and, uh, you know, doing uh, enough stuff to get you in the door, you know what I mean? God forbid. It's not. It's experience the Holy Spirit of God that brings with him the atonement, the effects of the atonement, the satisfaction of having the Spirit of God within us. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. So in other words, he helps us in this endeavor. Now notice this. This is what everybody does, right? Do everything, everything, what did I say? Everything, without grumbling and arguing. I lost. Forget it. And how many of you are willing to admit that you already failed? This week, maybe this morning. Do everything? This is the ideal. This is what Christ did in a perfect way. But brothers and sisters, you know, we can do better. I call it a make it a good faith effort with the help of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my dear friends, as you always obey me, not only in my presence, but, but do everything. Verse 14, I'm reading the wrong verse. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Completely, totally? Sometimes I think, when the Christian, when people hear the message of Christianity with these words, I call them perfectionistic words, they shy away from it because they say, you know, I can never be that perfect. And you're right. What's the one word that we never use when it comes to our relationship with the Lord or our walk with the Lord? It's the word perfect. And what the Bible says, be perfect like I am perfect, saith the Lord. And the only one that's that perfect is me. Not you. Not at all. <laughs> How can you be? It's the goal. It's that which motivates us. That which causes us to do better. But we always lean upon that baby Jesus that went to the cross. 
we always lean upon his crucifixion and his grace that saved us. Children of God, without fault, in a warped and a crooked generation. We could say amen to that. Then you will shine among them like stars of the sky as you hold firmly, you hold firmly to the word of life, what I'm reading to you this morning. You hold firmly because the implication is it's a wild ride. You got to hold firmly. That's our part. It's like a roller coaster life. You know, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run and labor in vain. So Paul looked at this as the most important thing in his life. The most important thing in his life is that others do well in Christ. And he says, you know what? I'm going to pour myself out as a sacrifice and a service to your faith. You know? so that together we could rejoice. You see, the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, who came in the manger, little baby, is the opposite of the fallen world. In the fallen world, we have an invasion, an invading army to conquer a city, a weaker city, it doesn't matter. We massacre babies, that's what Herod did. And that's what they're doing in the Middle East on both sides, maybe. I don't know. You know, this is what the world does. My God came with all the power of creating the universe. He came as a baby. He grew up. He did good. Jesus said, for what do you persecute me? Why do you, why do you want to crucify me? For what good have I, have I done that, that you want to do this? He says, they said, No. It's not for that, but you're claiming to be the very Son of God, which we believe. And he went to the cross, and it wasn't easy. Some people think, you know, it was easy for him to go to the cross. He's God. He probably numbed himself. Not at all. He died for your and my sins, and he rose again. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas, and we live our life with the pattern that's demonstrated in Philippians chapter 2, chapter 2. And we all say that this all began with the child at Bethlehem, the incarnation of the very Son of God. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, let, oh come, let's, uh, let us adore him. Because whether we like it or not, we're following the pattern of life which leads to an encounter with the divine that some of us try to elude through this whole life. He, does, he wants the eternal life to begin here and then to continue afterward. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand and have a word of prayer.